0: Please be seated.
1: Thank you, David. I would invite you to pull out the announcement sheet, and inside of it is a sermon outline that you can use as we go through a couple of weeks of looking at the birth of Jesus. And while you're pulling that out and getting your Bibles open to Luke chapter 2, just a, a quick reminder, holiday harvest, all of those deliveries are going to be made in the next few days in the next week or so. And we're still needing quite a few people to actually make some of those deliveries. And inside of that announcement sheet is a, a form that you can use to fill out if you can do that. And let me encourage you to make it a family project to, to get your family in the car to come and to pick up the turkey, the food, the, the presents, the map, and the instructions on what to do and to make it a kind of a family outing for, for you And uh, for the rest of the members of your family, as you go into this community, and we're going to be delivering things all over San Antonio, as you go into this community to bless people. And if you'll fill one of those out and you give it to Richard or to one of the, the staff ministers, or you can just leave it right there in the pew. We'll pick it up a little bit later this afternoon. But we would love for you to be a part of that distribution. We're going to be looking at the birth of Jesus and our response to it the next couple of weeks. And before we jump into this text, the first seven verses of Luke chapter 2, I'm going to ask you to bow your head and to join your hearts with me as we pray for God to bless us in this time of study. Father, we are grateful. We're, We're grateful for the things that we understand and we are grateful for even the mysteries of the Incarnation that escape our finite mind and understanding. But we know it to be true. We know it to be fact. We know it to be a part of not just history, Father, but a part of changing the universe. And all of this because You love us. And You seek relationship with us Even though in our decisions, our thinking, our actions, our affections, our emotional life, we have done nothing but push You away. We ask for forgiveness. We ask, Father, for eyes that see and ears that hear. In order, as Isaiah preached long ago, in order for us to be able to turn toward You and to find our healing. We're thankful, Father. For this text, we pray, Father, we pray that it melt our hearts this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all the church said. How many of you recognize this classic, touchy-feely, sentimental Christmas movie? What's the title of it? Christmas Vacation. hard to believe that it's nearly 25 years old. And do you recognize this next scene? This is where Mr. Griswold has spent all day, probably the entire week, in putting the Christmas lights on the house. And this is the moment where he's called the family out and he plugs it in. And as he plugs it in, this is what happens. All of the lights in the county go dim and brown out as all of the lights on his house can light up. Uh, Who doesn't like a Christmas light? You know, that's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is about light. In the darkness, John chapter one, verse nine, the true light, the light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. What is implied in that verse and something that we know intuitively and from our own personal experience is that the world is a very, very dark place. Now, we don't go around muttering to ourselves. The world is a dark place. The world is a dark place. The world is a dark place. But the world gives us every opportunity. The world gives us every reason to think as much. Think back about 12 years ago, September 11th, 2001. In a more recent history, Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. In, in just the last couple of days, the, the, the train derailment in Brooklyn, a train going 82 miles an hour in a 30 mile per hour uh, curve, and four people who got up that morning thinking they were just going to go to work, died. There are times, church, when the darkness can press down on your chest to the point that you cannot ignore it. And the human reaction? Well, the human reaction is typical and the human reaction is pretty predictable. We say, we've got to change things. We say things like, we need to take measures in order to keep this kind of thing from happening again. And that's not a bad thing sometimes. I mean, there are a lot of people with jobs, a lot of smart people with jobs that are changing procedures and implementing laws and changing things in order to help where it can be helped, these kinds of things from happening. But overall, overall, the strategy is futile. The strategy is futile. Why? It's because we need to understand a broader principle of evil in the world that is more than just these mere individual acts of badness, of tragedy. We need a broader principle of how evil is working in the world. Now, many of you know the author Cormac McCarthy, a writer of a, a good many westerns and, and some contemporary novels. He wrote one uh, uh, some years ago that took, in, took place in and around San Antonio. It was a book entitled No Country for Old Men. And in this book, there is a, a, a profound and, and, and a, I think a very deep understanding of the nature of evil. In this book, evil is, is portrayed as unstoppable and unthinkable and unrelenting and unpredictable. Few years before that, a fellow by the name of J.R.R. Tolkien, you know, and because of the Hobbit, because of the trilogy, there is this this scene in the book, The Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of of the Ring, in the chapter entitled "The Shadow of the Past." where Frodo and Gandalf are having a conversation. They and their company have just escaped some dangers, life-threatening. They get into the mountain and they're having a conversation. And Frodo, for the first time, is beginning to understand the weight of the burden of the responsibility of the ring that he has been given and the dangers of the path and how it's fraught with, with evil all the way to the end of his journey. And he's having a conversation with Gandalf about that. And Gandalf says in one of the most profound statements about evil in all of literature, he says always after a defeat and a respite the shadow with a capital s the shadow takes another shape and grows again always after a defeat and a respite the shadow takes another shape and grows again my friends at christmas is about dealing with the shadow Christmas is God's plan to not just deal with the shape du jour of the shadow, but to decisively deal with it in all of its form. The anarchy and the disease and the death and the disorder and the chaos to deal with it for good. And the plan is revealed in this text. Two words I want you to get your mind around this morning. The first is this, the incarnation. Now this text in Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 7 is about God being born as a human into the world. Now, you know as well as I do that when people, a lot of the secular-minded folk around us in this community and around the world, when they hear the story of the Incarnation that God became, squeezed Himself, all of that deity, all of that infiniteness into flesh, there's a response. And it is, well, you know, that's a great story. But it's a lovely legend. It's a lovely legend. And it gives us hope. It's a story with hope, but it's, it's not just a true story. It's just a myth. And then you actually sit down and you read Luke's Gospel and you understand from the very beginning that Luke never intended for his Gospel the words that he's writing down about the life of Jesus to be read this way. He doesn't start with once upon a time. And he doesn't start with the words long ago in a galaxy far away. You know that when you read those kinds of words that what follows is going to be A fiction. No, Luke Luke did not write this Gospel, the, the third of the Gospels that we have. He did not write it on the level to be understood as a fable like Aesop's fables. That you have the ant and the grasshopper, the lion and the mouse. That you have the birth of Jesus and you have the fox and the grapes. No, he did not intend for it to be written that way. Luke begins, do you remember that year when Caesar Augustus had this decree that was sent out about this worldwide census? Do you remember that year? yes. That's the year that what I'm about to tell you actually happened. And if you go back to the very first chapter, just the first couple of verses of Luke's Gospel, he says, you know, many have undertaken to draw up an account of these things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were what? Eyewitnesses. What Luke is giving us is an eyewitness account. Luke is saying, what I'm writing down actually happened. It's not just fiction it's not just a myth this is fact it is a gospel it is something that actually happened in history so why the question though is why does he press this point why does he make it clear from the very beginning that what he's writing is fact and not fiction it's because the shadow always comes back why doesn't Luke just write a fiction that can that can give us hope Why does it have to be fact? It's because the shadow always comes back. Within the bounds of time, within the confines of history, the shadow, after defeat, after respite, takes another shape and grows again. The evil returns. Now we like to think that technology is some kind of an answer. Technology is not the answer, although we think that even if it's not answering all of those questions today, one day it will. And we have made these gigantic strides in technology. I mean, honestly, who wants to go back 20 years when it comes to medical advancements in the medical sciences? Or who wants to go back even beyond that with the communication technologies? Remember, and I'm not referring just to the time before cell phones. You go back further than that, and there was a time when there was no phone at all. There was a time when the only way that you could communicate long distance was to write a letter and to give it to a guy riding a fast horse. And yet people are more seriously afraid in this era, even with all of those advances in technology. There is an undercurrent. There is a stream of anxiety that flows underneath everything. People are more seriously afraid in this era. Why? Because of hackers and not all of them wear white hats. Some of them are malicious and some of them want to do evil with the information. The the, the smart mafia, the smart underworld, is not dealing with with, with stolen goods and with illegal goods. They're dealing with uh, uh, identity theft. And has Eric Snowden really made people feel safer in the world? And why is it in this post-Cold War era that people are more afraid of that nuclear winter, especially in a time like now. It's because it's become more impossible to control those who can detonate a nuclear device. Technology fails us because it cannot address the truth about the shadow. That the shadow, that that darkness, is in all of us. Now, we can build a better microwave, but not a better human heart. The shadow comes back and always comes back because that darkness is inside of us. And when you really think about it, humans are responsible for the entire spectrum of evil from dystopian futures to dysfunctional relationships. Human hearts are the source. And technology does not and that is why Luke says the birth of Jesus is a fact and not a fiction. It has to be. The birth has to be real. The birth is real because the shadow is real. Which brings us to a second word. And that is the word rejection incarnation and rejection in this text. Look at Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Happy time. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. Happy time. She had to wrap him in cloths. And she placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. You know, when you read that text carefully, what you begin to see is a pattern. A pattern. Wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger there's no room in the house for a pregnant woman her husband joseph has no cloud he has no influence she has she has to give birth to her firstborn child you know maybe if it was the 11th and she had a little bit of experience with it maybe in the stable not a big deal but the first in a stable and later in the chapter when Jesus is presented at the temple with with uh, the the offering that only the very poorest of the poor could give. According to Leviticus chapter 12, it was with two doves or with two pigeons. Jesus is not born into affluence. And it's wrong to sentimentalize this this scene with with, with smiling cows and with sheep with these cherubic faces. This is not a precious moments nativity scene. The nativity scene is harsh and it's severe and the pattern is rejection. Rejection. And that is how God chooses to save us. That is how God is going to save us. It's through the rejection of His Son. Jesus did not come as a general. He did not come as a president or a king or a CEO. He didn't come as somebody that is is tweeting all the time, some kind of celebrity. You go to the stable and what do you see? The Son of God extended on straw. You see God sleeping in a feed trough. I mean, it's so counterintuitive when you think about it. I mean, when we think about the power of evil that we have to fight, what we want is strength to fight the shadow. We want a power to fight the powerful darkness. So why did He subject Himself to the darkness? I mean, if God really loves us, why doesn't He remove completely the evil? Now I'll tell you why. But let me remind you of something that we've already said. That the darkness is in us. That the shadow is in us. The reason that He doesn't remove it completely, if Christ initially came to destroy all sources and manifestations of evil, there would be none of us left. Christ came to bear the rejection. To bear the rejection we deserve because of our darkness. The darkness that we have chosen. He came to be rejected, not accepted. He came to bear judgment, not to bring judgment. He came to be killed, not crowned. And now you know why the birth has to be a fact and not a fiction. It has to be a fact. It's not a fiction with some helpful, practical points that you might pick up on any Oprah show. It's a fact. And when He dies, and when He is raised from the dead, we are saved. And all of that the prophet of old talked about. He said He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to Him. Nothing in His appearance that we should desire Him. He was despised and what, church? Rejected. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised And we held Him in low esteem. Surely He took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered Him punished by God. Stricken by Him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds we are healed. And by His wounds, healed. What that means is that God is dealing with not just the shape of the shadow, but it growing. And that sounds great that you know there's this light at the end of the tunnel, but what about right now? Uh, two things. Don't have time to, to unpack them completely. But the first is this. Is that that light is not far off. That, that light is in you. God makes His light shine in His people. That we get to experience that light. It, to some degree or another. we We get to experience that light in such a way that it makes a difference in the way that we live and the way that we look at the world and the way that we respond and react to all of the things around us, whether they're terribly awful or whether or not they're terribly good. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, God said, let light shine out of darkness. Made His light shine where? In our hearts... Light shining in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And then secondly, not only to experience it, but to manifest it. God calls His people to manifest that light in the world. God calls His people to be that light. In the world where there's great darkness, God doesn't decorate His dwelling place with light bulbs. He, he decorates His dwelling place with redeemed people. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, He says, You were once darkness. I picture Him in my mind hesitating just a minute before writing the next words as He remembers the experience of darkness. Of what it means to think that you're right and to understand that you're outside of the will of God. To think that by handling the management of your own affairs, having your own hands on that steering wheel, that you are in control and realizing later on that you're not. Of always trying to figure out why there is this, this inability to deal with pain and suffering, whether it's personal or anywhere else in the world, sympathetically or empathetically or personally. Why all of this? Darkness. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Ben's going to lead us in a song right now, an invitation song. It's an opportunity for us to praise God and to, to worship God and and to sing out our our love and our affection and our enthusiasm for the fact that God loves us to the point that He's completely transformed our lives. But it's also an invitation not just to worship. It's an invitation to leave the darkness. It's an invitation to leave the darkness and to come into the light and for the light to come into you. It's its an invitation for your life to be different. It's an invitation for your life to be completely transformed. It, it's a, its an invitation for you not just to, 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 to turn over a new leaf, but to get a new life in Christ. And for the fact, the facts of the Gospel, for the history of the Gospel, for the truths of the Gospel, for the incarnation that God became flesh and was born a man and lived among us, for the truths in history of the Gospel to make a difference and have the birth of hope in your heart that describes you. Some of our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. We want you to come down and talk to them as we stand and praise God together. You are beautiful.